Welcome to this week's episode of Dead America. I'm Ed Waters, your host, and boy, do we have something to talk about this week. We're going to dive into what happened at Waco, Texas. But before we dive in and talk about Waco, Texas, you got to remember our episode about Ruby Ridge. If you did not catch Ruby Ridge, make sure you go to deadamerica.website and listen to our Ruby Ridge, The Red Horse Rides episode. There's a lot going on here, so we're going to try to cover as much as possible, and then we're going to just dive in and listen to a few things. The best way to handle this is we have to remember the United States is a constitutional form of government. And we are a republic, which means we are a rule of law. Let's get to the brass tacks of things. The supreme law of the land is the Constitution of the United States. And it must be followed or we have no union. Our First Amendment states, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of the speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievance. Vicki Weaver got shot in the head because of her redress of grievance, in my own opinion. We talked about what the Constitution says. We are a rule of law. And, you know, the government really has a bad record. When we dive right into it, their record is not very good when it is dealing with religious entities in a physical, combative way. Ruby Ridge, Waco, Texas. Boy, I'll tell you, there's something going on here. Let's talk about Waco, Texas and what happened at Mount Carmel. A 51-day standoff at Waco, Texas, which resulted in an astronomical amount of life lost of men, women, and children for nothing. The simplicity of an arrest of David Koresh could have been made at the mailbox or when he went jogging each morning. There was so many ways to easily obtain the objective of picking up and arresting David Koresh without all the extreme violence that occurred that day that took so many lives and changed the way America 
looks at law enforcement, it changed so much. There is people in high places doing bad things. This did not need to occur, especially with what resulted earlier at Ruby Ridge. We've got to slow down and we've got to think about what is going on. There are people persecuting religious beliefs. There are people persecuting people because they do not agree with them. And these persecutions are coming from a Babylonian-style government. That's exactly what the weavers were saying from Ruby Ridge. That's exactly what this whole Mount Carmel thing was about, Waco, Texas. Let's go back to the original Mount Carmel, the one out of the Bible. There's another prophet and a story that really fits in to all of this. A Jezebel spirit is going to be talked about. You've got to understand the times that we live in and the people that are playing the strings in the background. Remember who was in office during Ruby Ridge and then who was in office during Waco, Texas. You're going to see a lot of familiar faces in both places, but yet, because of religious beliefs and wanting to withdraw themselves from the society as they saw danger, they did not have that opportunity. Why? Because they spoke out. They had an opportunity to speak out, a redress of grievance to their government. Yet, they were not heard. They were viciously attacked. Let's listen in to the audio clips that I picked up and use your common sense. Use your reasoning and think logically about what's being said. I dug up some old prophecies. We want to listen. Make sure you listen to the whole story and complete this podcast. It might really change the way you see things. I hope it does. Because this nation is in trouble. And we must stand together. We cannot allow religious persecutions to happen. Salem witch hunts. It is getting out of control. And that's what it's all about. A one world control. A one world government. A one world dynasty. And the players that are involved have been the same faces that we see for years and years and years in our system. 
trying to change and alter what good men and women fought and died for. The Constitution of the United States is a valuable document. If you don't adhere to it, you will lose it. Let's listen in to some of the audio that I found. I hope you enjoy. In this series, we are going to speak about the biblical concept of Elijah. And basically, we're going to see that the Bible presents three distinct Elijahs. The first is what we might call the historical Elijah. This is the Elijah that lived in the Old Testament period. The second Elijah I've chosen to call the prophetic Elijah, or we could also call him the New Testament Elijah. The final Elijah that we're going to talk about is the apocalyptic Elijah. In other words, the Elijah that we find in the book of Revelation. Now we're going to find in these three Elijahs very many common elements. So it's very, very important that we pay attention to what we're going to study in this first presentation. Because the details will resurface again when we discuss the New Testament Elijah and when we discuss the final end time Elijah. So it's very important that we understand the sequence of events in the original historical Elijah story. In this story, we're going to notice that there is, first of all, a king or a political ruler in every single case. We're going to notice also that there is a harlot woman involved in the story. We will notice as well that the harlot woman has instruments that she uses to extend her apostate religion. In the case of the historical Elijah, they were the false prophets of Baal. Involved also are God's people. In fact, God's people are deceived by this threefold alliance of the king, the harlot, and the false prophets of Baal. And then finally, of course, we have Elijah, who rebukes this threefold alliance and calls God's people to come back to the straight and narrow way. Now, the religion of Jezebel and the religion of Ahab the king and the religion of the false prophets is known as the religion of Baal. And Baal was the sun god. So turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 16 and verses 30 and 31. 1 Kings chapter 16 and verses 30 and 31. Here we find a description of the alliance between the king, the political ruler, and this harlot woman who is known as Jezebel. It says there, Now Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And it came to pass, as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he took as wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and he went and served Baal and worshipped him. So we find here an alliance between King Ahab and the harlot woman Jezebel. And the intention is to lead Israel into 
practicing the false worship of Baal, whom we're going to notice is the sun god. Now, in this story, we need to recognize that the dangerous figure is not the political leader. The dangerous figure is not the king. The dangerous figure in this whole story is actually the queen, Jezebel. She's the one who manipulates things. She is the shadow ruler behind the political ruler. We notice this, for example, in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verses 8 through 10. And this is referring to the death of Naboth. You see, um, the Bible tells us that Ahab wanted Naboth's vineyard. And he couldn't find out any way of getting the vineyard. And so Jezebel said, I'll take care of it. And let's notice how she took care of it. It says there in verse 8, And she wrote letters in Ahab's name. Notice that she wrote the letters in the king's name. Sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who were dwelling in the city with Naboth. She wrote in the letters saying, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth with high honor among the people. And seat two men, scoundrels before him, to bear witness against him, saying, You have blasphemed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him that he may die. Notice that this was not a decree of the king. This was actually Jezebel who was writing this decree. She was sealing the decree with the ring of the king for the death of Naboth. In other words, she is exercising authority over the king. She was actually the shadow ruler in Israel. And she had enormous influence. And as we study the story of Elijah, we notice that uh, Ahab, the king, had a very weak character. And he was easily manipulated by the strong-willed queen Jezebel. In fact, we notice this in 1 Kings chapter 21 and verse 25, the evil influence that the queen had over the king. It says there in 1 Kings 21, 25, but there was no one like Ahab who sold himself to do wickedness in the sight of the Lord. And now notice why he did wickedness, because Jezebel, his wife, stirred him up. In other words, she is the one who is manipulating things. She is influencing the king so that the king will do her bidding. Now, what was the religion that Jezebel wanted to impose through the influence of the king? It was actually a syncretistic religion. In other words, it was an amalgamation between the worship of the Lord and the worship of Baal. It was not purely Baal worship. It was actually a mixture of Jehovah worship and Baal worship. In fact, we notice this in 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. When Elijah is there on Mount Carmel, we find these words. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions. Notice the people were not determined on one side or on the other side. They actually wanted one foot on one side and one foot on the other. So Elijah says, how long will you falter between two opinions? I like the way the King James puts it. How long will you limp between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word.
In 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 4, we find that Jezebel was a murderer of God's prophets, of God's servants. It says there in verse 4, For so it was, while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord, notice she massacred the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. So Jezebel was a murderous woman. She killed the servants of the Lord. She killed the prophets of the Lord. After the Mount Carmel experience, she even gave a death decree against the prophet Elijah. And she said, this very day you're going to die. Notice what we find in 1 Kings chapter 19 and verses 1 and 2. It says, and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. Also, how he had executed all the prophets with the sword, because at this point, the prophets of Baal had been executed. Notice the message that Jezebel sends in verse 2. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, Jezebel gave a death decree against Elijah. But interestingly enough, we'll notice in this story that God shielded the life of Elijah and he protected him from this death decree. And eventually, Elijah was translated to heaven from among the living. Now, notice also three other characteristics of this harlot woman who influenced the king, who united with the secular power or with the Civil power. Second Kings chapter 9 and verse 22 tells us three important things about Jezebel. It says there, Now it happened, when Joram saw Jehu, that he said, Is it peace, Jehu? So he answered, What peace? Now notice this, As long as the harlot trees, See, she's called a harlot, as long as the harlot trees of your mother, she's called mother, mother Jezebel, and notice, and her witchcraft are so many. She's called mother. She's involved in witchcraft in the occult. And besides that, we're told that she was involved in harlotry. Those are three very important terms that we need to remember as we will study the last two Elijahs. By the way, a very important detail that I want you to notice is that Elijah is on earth during this tribulation period. He is on earth when the death decree is given. He goes through the tribulation. You need to remember this because when we come to the end time application, we're going to find that God's people who will be translated from this world from among the living will go through the tribulation. They will face the death decree remaining on planet Earth before they are translated to heaven. And so now we move on to Marmel. Up to this point, Elijah's message had not had much effect on the people. In fact, we're going to notice that when Elijah calls them for a decision, they don't even give him a word. Let's read that. First Kings chapter 18 and verse 21. See, they were limping between two opinions. It says there in verse 21, And Elijah came to all the people and said, 
How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. Is he calling for a clear-cut decision between the Creator God and the Son God? Remember that issue. Between the true Creator God and the Son God. And the people said, oh, we accept the Lord. No, they didn't. It says in the last part of the verse, but the people answered him not a word. His message had no power at that moment. We're going to notice that when the fire came from heaven, there was power that convicted the people. Let's talk, first of all, about how the false prophets ended their existence on planet Earth. 1 Kings 18 and verse 40 tells us that the Israelites themselves, I want you to remember this, that the Israelites themselves laid hands on the false prophets and slew them. It says there in 1 Kings 18 verse 40, And Elijah said to them, that is to the people that were gathered on Mount Carmel, Seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. They were actually executed by Elijah and by the congregation which had been deceived by this threefold alliance. Elijah is directed by the Lord to destroy these false teachers. Remember that expression, false teachers. Now, do you think that the Lord is not going to vindicate these people that died, in, the innocent ones that died here, these children? Do you think he's not going to vindicate that? Remember, David Koresh said that Babylon the Great, the global system was coming against him and that he was going to bring it down. Well, there's a prophecy that says the one who dashes in pieces loses the battle, but he begins the downfall of the Assyrian the global system, Babylon the Great. He begins it. And that's what David Koresh did. But the Lord himself is going to bring down the global system. And how does he do that? By showing how corrupt that government is. And he says, come out of her, my people. Partake not of her sins and receive not of her plagues. What are we finding out about the global system today? about the deep state and about all these pedophiles that are running the countries in the world, the global system. What are we finding out about them? That they're all a bunch of sinners, Satan worshipers, human sacrifice, drinking blood, all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's the innocent children that are victimized, just like the innocent children here were victimized. We need to wake up or we're going to find that Waco is going to happen again. Wake up or Waco. That was coined by Mike Hansen and, and Alex Jones. The ones that built the church out here for us. God bless them. Now I don't like to have to say this. But I'm about the only one that can say it. Because I'm, I'm the one that not only witnessed it, but participated in it, that I was called of God to declare Ellen White's prophecy to Koresh at the right time 
nine years to the day and the hour of his judgment. When you saw that fire start on April the 19th, I pointed my finger at him in the church and I said, you're going to receive the Ezekiel 9 slaughter. That fire started at 1210 and that's when I pointed my finger at him at 1210, but it was nine years before. It was on April the 17th of 1984. Now, there were two leap years in that nine years because there's a leap year comes once in four. So there were two leap years. That adds an extra day each year. So April the 19th was the exact day, nine years to the day and the hour. When you add the two leap years, the two extra days of the leap year. Now, David Koresh, I want you to understand that he was glad that I understood what he was about to do. Because nobody else knew it. The elders of the church had no idea what was going on. But he knew that I knew and he he appreciated it. That's why he put his arm around me. His arm around my neck and said, this brother, this Seventh-day Adventist brother is teaching truth. The truth that Ellen G. White prophesied, Ben Roden prophesied, and Victor Hodef prophesied. So you branch Davidians and Seventh-day Adventists and Davidians, Seventh-day Adventists, you need to understand that this makes the prophets that you believed in, it gives them genuine validity. Thank you. Validity. It validifies them. You know, there's a lot of uh, people out there, when I tell them this, when they come to Mount Carmel, and I try to tell them that Ellen G. White was a prophet. Oh, no, she wasn't a prophet. Not everything that she prophesied came true. Well, this came true. Not everything that Victor Hodef preached came true. Well, this came true. Not everything that Ben Roden preached came true. This came true. And what I preached, what I declared that they declared when they prophesied, it came true too to the day and the hours. Be careful what you're saying. And you know what I learned from all this? Touch not the man of God. In other words, even David Koresh, I was to speak about him in a positive way, not in a negative way. And I'm not trying to be negative about David. I, I love David because I love him because he was willing to die. I'm not, I wasn't, I wouldn't have been able to do this. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I wasn't able to do this back then. But when I saw him do this and believe it with all of his heart, I'm willing to die for God now. And what's coming in the future, it's going to be open season on Christians, folks. The time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. That's coming upon us. And the Antichrist is coming. So be careful. Be open. Be willing to live for God by dying for him. Do you understand? That's what I learned from all this. They were willing. They were living for God, but they were also willing to die for God because that's how he wanted them to live for him, was to die for him. Well, we all have to die to self, but these people were basically tortured.
So David Koresh and Ellen G. White, what they had in common was that they were Seventh-day Adventists, but there was more to it than that. And that's what you're going to find out. I posed the question in the title to get people's attention, especially Seventh-day Adventists, because they don't want to hear what I'm going to say. They don't want to believe what I'm going to tell them. But I was an eyewitness, and I was one that participated in this whole thing. So what they truly have in common is the prophecy that Ellen G. White made in 1904, which states that someone was going to come within the Seventh-day Adventist Church and claim to have the mind of God, claim to sit in the seat of God, and claim to be God. That's what's in Ezekiel 28. And here is a copy of that statement that she made. It's taken from SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 4, Ellen G. White. Now, that's the Ellen G. White Bible. It has her commentary in it. And this is what she prophesied back in 1904, that there would be a general movement within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I ask our people to study the 28th chapter of Ezekiel. The representation here made, while it refers primarily to Lucifer, the fallen angel, has yet a broader significance, not one being but a general movement is described, and one that we, Seventh-day Adventists, shall witness. That means it's going to happen in the Seventh-day Adventist movement. A faithful study of this chapter, Ezekiel 28, should lead those who are seeking for truth to walk in all the light that God has given to his people, lest they be deceived by the deceptions of these last days. Special Testimonies, Series B, number 17, page 30. SDA Bible Commentary, Volume 4, Alan G. White, page 1162. So she made this comment in that Bible on Ezekiel 28, and she said that we were going to witness it as Seventh-day Adventists. So what does that mean? That a general movement led by a man who is claiming to have the mind of God, claiming to sit in the seat of God, and claiming to be God. And who in the world would that be in the Seventh-day Adventist denomination? but David Koresh. Now you can go and study this more fully. I made a video and you can see it on my YouTube channel and this is the link for you. You can put that link in the URL and go and listen to the whole thing. I get into it more fully. I can't do that and I don't want to do that again. I want to just get your attention here and let you know that this did happen in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and that we need to understand it because it's part of the judgment that was prophesied would come. So she said a general movement in SDA, a Seventh-day Adventist leading a group would claim he had the mind of God, sat in the seat of God, and that he was God. There is no one in the history of Seventh-day Adventism that has claimed that other than David Koresh. Now, Ellen G. White prophesied that in 1904. 
I believe it was August the 28th of 1904. In 1984, on April the 17th, I brought, I presented that prophecy of Ellen White. I was just declaring what she had already prophesied. And I too am a Seventh-day Adventist, and I believe that Ellen G. White was a prophet of God. So I brought that prophecy to David Koresh, who was a Seventh-day Adventist, and to all the elders that were following David Koresh in the church, the Branch Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church. I knew a lot of them personally, and I studied with them and under them. So I know these people. So I bring this prophecy, and I explain it to David Koresh. But I wanted to know, because there was a controversy going on in the branch, and we had to decide whether we were going to go along with David Koresh's teachings or not and whether he was a true prophet or not. So I brought this to everyone's attention. There was about 180 people in the church. All the elders were there. Lois Roden was there. And I presented this prophecy that Ellen White declared in 1904. And I asked David Koresh if he was the man that Ellen G. White had prophesied would come within the Seventh-day Adventist church and declare to have the mind of God, sit in the seat of God and to be God. And guess what he said without any argument? He said, yes, I am. I'm that man. So I told him, will you understand what the Lord is going to do to that man? The Sovereign Lord will judge the blasphemer who claims to be God. And how will he judge him? He tells you exactly how he's going to do it in Ezekiel 28. Because thou hast set thine heart as the heart of God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers upon thee, the terrible of the nations, and they shall draw their swords against thy beauty of thy wisdom. Now, wisdom comes from God, the Holy Spirit. So, his wisdom, the beauty of his wisdom, they're going to bring it, they're going to come against the beauty of his interpretation of Scripture. And he thought that he was opening the seven seals. And in order for him to be opening the seven seals, he has to be the Lamb of Revelation 5 and 6, the one that's in the midst of the throne, because that Lamb is the only one that can open the sealed book, we're told. No man can open that book. It has to be not a created being, but a divine being. And I teach that that is the, not Christ. It's the Holy Ghost, the counterpart of Christ, who is the other comforter that is to lead us into all truth, convict us of sin, and testify of him. And she, because when you look at this up in the Greek, you'll find that that lamb is Arneon, and Arneon is the diminutive form in the Greek of Aren, and Aren is the masculine lamb that is put on the cross. So the Aren refers to Christ himself, and the Arneon is the diminutive form of the sheep species, which would be the female. Now, the Lord says, I will Pray that the Father will send another comforter, another parent. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will pray that the Father will send another comforter in my name. His name is masculine, is it not? So that 
being that comes, the Holy Ghost, comes in his name, a masculine name. Just like my wife took my masculine surname, and she has her own name, her first name, which is feminine, but she also has her father's maiden name. So the masculine name, she comes in my name, but she has a first name that's feminine. So that's what the Holy Ghost does she comes in his name the name of the family of god the father's name because all the family on earth and in heaven is named after the father and so she comes in the father's name which is the son's name as well the surname and she leads us into all truth convicts us of sin and testifies of him so when it says that no man can open the book no man in heaven or in earth or under the earth can open the book. That means no created man or being can open the book. Only the Holy Ghost, who is the author of the book through the prophets that she sent to prophesy and to write down what they were told to write down in the book. That's why it's inspired. It's inspired by the Holy Ghost. But the Holy Ghost has to interpret it. So when David Koresh claimed to have the mind of God, claimed to sit in the seat of God, and claimed to be God, he was claiming to sit as the Lamb of God that opens the book. And no man can do that. So that's why it says in this prophecy, because thou hast, they shall draw their swords against the beauty of thy wisdom, your interpretation, and they shall defile thy brightness. They shall bring thee down to the pit the grave and thou shalt die the deaths plural because he had a following of them that are slain in the midst of the seas in the midst of the nations and then it goes on to say we'll see how much of a god you are in the hands of those that slay you you are not a god you are just a man so the lord wanted to prove to the world the nations that this man that was declaring to be god not just Christ but the Holy Ghost the author of the book because he says he was the only one that could open the sealed book and that's not true but David Koresh was willing to be an example to the world so he had to become an apostate in order to fulfill this prophecy so he was an apostate by claiming to be God and he brought judgment on the Seventh-day Adventist church. The Sovereign Lord will judge any blasphemer who claims to be God. Not just David Koresh, but any man. But David Koresh was willing to be the example to the world that that's what he's going to do. Especially to the Antichrist when he comes and claims to be God in the temple of God. And remember, the whole world wonders after that Antichrist. Jew and Christian. Bible students are going to believe that he's God. That's what was shown here. Wake up or wake If we don't wake up and realize that we can be deceived because we think we know what the scriptures are saying because we want to, our ears tickled by, you know, what we want it to say and what we want it to be, well, then we get ourselves in trouble. We have to listen to what the Holy Spirit says it is and what the God says it's to be. That's a dangerous place to be when you want it to be what you want it. So, now, the Ezekiel 9 slaughter in SDA. This is one of the prophecies that I learned when I first became a Seventh-day Adventist. Ellen G. White taught 
or prophesied that in the future, God would cleanse the church by getting rid of the apostate leadership, the ones that have turned their back on Christ and have gone on to basically teach their own ideas, their own habits and practices, a man-made gospel program. And that's what we had in the Davidian branch, Davidian Seventh-day Adventist movement. And God wanted it to be that way so he would show how he's going to judge his church first, SDA. Judgment begins at the house of God. If it begins at the house of God and he's this harsh with his own people, how will he judge those that believe not the gospel? These are Bible-believing, you know, gospel-believing Christians that supposedly are following Christ. And he judged them this severely. Why? Because they thought this man was God in the flesh. And that's what he was claiming, that he was God. He had the mind of God. He sat in the seat of God and that he was God. He even claimed that he was having God's children, that he was the only one that had God's seed in him. And the women believed it and they went along with it. The elders of the church who are the spiritual leaders of the church, they're the ones that are to um, make sure that nothing that's perverted gets into the teachings of the church. And they were the ones that went along with them. Why? Because they wanted position. And their position was more important to them than with David Koresh than their position with God as spiritual leaders. So they let him have their wives and their children. They let him teach what he wanted to teach about this. And he always said to them, you told me I could teach this. You told me that I could, that I was right because nobody told me I was wrong. Nobody but this one person that came in 1984 with this message, he was the one that told him that he was going to be judged of God. And he appreciated that. And this is how the judgment was to come. This is a slaughter of Ezekiel 9, the slaughter of men, women, and children. And that's what happened, folks. All you have to do is look at history and the facts. The Lord will send the terrible of the nations, the most elite army and ruthless army in the world, which is the United States Army. But he sent the most elite commando group within that army, the Delta Force, and they will bring you down before the world. We'll see how much of a god you are in the hands of those that slay you. You are not a god, you're just a man. So stop trying to claim that you're the Lamb of God, because you're not. That Lamb is the Holy Ghost. That's why he was judged. And he knew he would be judged if he declared that. Because I asked him, do you understand what the Lord's going to do to this man? He's going to send in an army. He's going to slay men, women, and children, his followers. And he's going to bring them all down and burn the place down. So that he's heard of no more. And I said to him, are you willing to go through that judgment? He says, somebody has to fulfill the prophecy for God. It might as well be me. I couldn't believe what I heard. I mean, it sh sent shivers down my back, and it still does. Why? Because this man loved God so much, and he wanted to prove that Ellen G. White was a true prophet so much that he was willing to be 
the one that is punished and die. Now his followers, the ones that believed that he was God, they died believing that too. They died for God, you see. So God looks at the heart. He doesn't look at what they were believing so much, but what they were doing with what they believed. And they were willing to die. David Koresh knew that he was going to die under the government that comes in here and, you know, boots his butt, basically. And the Lord himself says, I, the Lord, will send strangers, the terrible of the nations, and they will bring you down. That's the Lord giving the command to this army. Now, we all want to put blame on the army, okay, the Delta Force. Thank God that they don't, they are not responsible personally for what they do, whether they assassinate someone or they destroy property or whatever. They are following orders, so they're not held responsible personally for what is done. But the government is, and God's going to hold the government responsible for taking down this church community. They were used as bait. David Koresh himself said, I'm like a worm on a hook. And I'm going to hook the jaws of this government, this Leviathan, and I'm going to bring them right to my door. And they're going to come after me and destroy me. But he was willing to do this. That's what freaks me out. He was living for God and was willing to die for God so that we might understand how to live for God so that we will die for God if we have to. And we need to be this way in these last days. So he based, the Lord said, you are not a God in the hands of those that slay you. You are just a man. So was David Koresh, who had a death wish, to fulfill the Father's will. Was he a madman or was he a Messiah? That's up to you and me to decide, you see. We have to see what's in his heart, not what everybody says he was or what everybody says he did. Now, I'm not condoning his sin, and he would be the first one to tell you that he was a sinner. But does God use sinners? He asked his son to become sin because he didn't sin but he had to use a sinner or he used the sinner to pay the price for sinners in other words the son of god who was perfect became sin for you and me why because that's part of god's plan of salvation so he basically used his own son who was perfect but he made him sin, become sin, so that he could use him on our behalf to take away our sin or to pay for our sins. Because you and I can't pay for our sins. We can ask for forgiveness, but we can't pay for them. Only the Creator, the one who created us, could be responsible to do that in his Father's eyes. So he asked his own son, his only begotten son, 
Think about it. Would you give up your own son or your own daughter for a bunch of sinners, a bunch of deplorables? Would you? No, we would say no, there's no way. But that's not what God did. God gave his perfect son to us deplorables so that we could become like him. without sin through him now we've heard this statement for peter first peter 4:17 judgment begins at the house of god and if it begins at the house of god how will he judge those that believe not the gospel well these people believe the gospel and they were willing to take on the judgment now, if you are the house of God, if you really and truly believe that you are the house of God, that you are God's people, then it says that judgment is going to begin with you. Now, when I brought this to David Koresh's attention, this prophecy, and he realized that somebody, this individual, me, knew what he was up to. He put his arm around my neck and turned around to the elders of the church and the rest of the people in the church there, about 180 people there. And he said to them, this brother is teaching truth. And he didn't argue with me or anything. He quietly sat down in his pew and he was heard of no more there. But he was basically telling them, Koresh not only agreed that the prophecy was true, but he said he was willing to die to fulfill God's will. You see, if Ellen White was a true prophet, this prophecy had to come true or she wouldn't have been a true prophet. So he was willing to die that Ellen White, whom he believed was a true prophet, that her prophecy would come true within the Seventh-day Adventist church. I mean, think about what I'm saying to you here, you Seventh-day Adventists who don't want to have anything to do with Branch Davidians or what happened in Waco. This was God's doing. God wanted to prove that Ellen G. White, just like you want to prove that Ellen G. White was a true prophet. Well, he wants to also prove that Victor Houdif and Ben Roden were true prophets too. It doesn't just stop with Ellen G. White with the God. Because God raised Ellen G. White, he raised Victor Houdif, he raised Ben Roden, and yes, he even raised David Koresh to fulfill their prophecy. But he was the one that was going to die. He was the one that was going to receive the punishment. The punishment of the apostate leadership within the Seventh-day Adventist Church. You know what that means? That David Koresh and the elders of the Davidian branch, Davidian Seventh-day Adventist Church, took the Ezekiel 9 slaughter for all the Seventh-day Adventist churches. Branch Davidian, Seventh-day Adventist, Davidian Seventh-day Adventist, and Seventh-day Adventist. So the leaders of those churches don't have to go through the Ezekiel 9 slaughter if they will acknowledge what God has already done for them. Ellen White tells us that the Lord took Ezekiel 9 for us. So we don't have to receive the Ezekiel 9 slaughter like he received it. Well, he did that for every individual. What about the organizations that we have that are in, a, that are in apostasy today? The 501c3s that 
you know, everybody seems to think it's okay to be a 501c3 church. That's not of God. That's under the devil's government. And if they would listen to what A.T. Jones said, that when we confederate with the state or any other government, we are turning our back on God. The message that God gave to A.T. Jones was the setting up of the God's kingdom in this earth. You remember in 1888 when the message, if it had been accepted by A.T., the message that A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner brought about the righteousness of Christ, if it was accepted, they would have been in the kingdom within two years by 1890. But they rejected it. And every time that message comes, it's rejected, ridiculed, and made fun of by the majority. And it goes away. That angel goes away but comes back and returns. And it keeps returning until it does its work of purification. Well, it did its work of purification here in the branch or the Davidian branch, Davidian church. Because that message was brought again by the same individual that brought the prophecy of Ellen White, Victor Hodiff, and Ben Roden. And you can read all about it on the website, the two branches.info, special study, special branch studies, the Omega of Apostasy. Go read it and study it and see what Big Victor Hodiff said about it. Well, first of all, what Ellen White said about it, Victor Hodiff said about it, and Benjamin Roden said about it. They were all prophets of God teaching about this judgment that was coming. And David Koresh was told about it in 1984 and confronted by me. And I asked him, are you willing to go ahead and be the one that God is going to judge before the whole world? The slaughter of men, women, and children and a fire to consume your whole building? And he said, yes. Well, isn't that what happened here in Waco? The slaughter of men, women, and children by an army? the most elite and ruthless army in the world. And didn't his building get burned down to the ground? Yes. Yes to all of those things. Why? Because this prophecy was true. And since this prophecy was true, Waco proves that the terrible of the nations, the Delta Force, were sent here by the Lord against this apostate leader and his followers to bring him down before all nations. Why? Because he was an object lesson to the world of what he was going to do and is going to do to the Antichrist when he comes, who claims to be God and sits in the temple of God. And it says the whole world wonders after him. Do you think there's not going to be Jews and Christians that are going to go along with him? It says that if it were possible to deceive the very elect, but it's not possible to deceive the very elect. Why? Because we went through this with one man already in the Seventh-day Adventist church who claimed to be God. So it's not possible if we're listening and we're paying attention to what's going on when the Antichrist comes. He can't deceive us into believing him. So what else does Waco prove? That David Koresh sacrificed himself for God's purpose. I know that's hard for people to understand and to get their head around. 
but it's taken me years to get it around. I thought he was of the devil. I was against him. I, I, and you can ask his followers. They all said, well, you don't understand. No, I don't understand. But until the Holy Spirit gives me the understanding that God wants me to understand about this, I'm going to see it as, you know, that he was an apostate. And he was an apostate, and he still is an apostate, because that's the persona he had to have to fulfill the purposes of God, to fulfill this prophecy. And people need to understand that he became an apostate. And God allowed him to become that apostate. Why? So he could damn him. And do you know why he could damn him? And I'm going to tell you why. In Second Thessalonians chapter 3, it says that if you don't have a love for the truth, God himself will give you strong delusion to believe a lie so he can damn you. Well, if you don't have a love for the truth, when David Koresh put his arm around my neck and turned around to the elders and he said to them, this brother is teaching truth. In other words, he's telling you the truth. I'm not a God. I'm just a man. Listen to what he's saying, in other words. But no, they would not listen to me. Even though he said I was teaching truth, they did not want to hear that because they wanted it to be what they were believing because of their position seeking. They wanted a high position in the kingdom and if they stuck it out with David Koresh, they would have been high you know, in the kingdom. That's what I was told that they were teach he was teaching them and that's what they got a hold of and that's what they believed. So they won't let go of the fact that he is not a God, he's just a man. But that's why God, the Lord judged him. Because you have said, you see, I have the mind of God. I will send strangers the terrible of the nations and they will bring you down with the sword, their sword. We'll see how much of a God you are in the hands of those that slay you. You are not a God, you are just a man. Of course he's just a man. He was claiming to be the Lamb of God, and the Lamb of God is the only one that can open the book of seven seals because it's the author of the book. It's the Holy Ghost. But David Koresh was claiming to be that Lamb that can open the book, that can open the seven seals when it says no man can open that sealed book. No man in heaven, in the earth, or under the earth. That means no created man. Was David Koresh a created man? Yes, he was. The Lord himself says that. You are not a God, you're just a man. So how could he open the sealed book if he was just a man? Only the Holy Ghost can do that. But he was trying to sit in the seat of God, claim to have the mind of God, and claim to be God. That's the Holy Ghost's position. That's why God was so angry with him. And he brought him down before the nations so that he would be an example to all men and women who are, you know, waiting for their ears to be tickled by some Messiah that's coming. There's going to be very many false Christs and many false Messiahs, but there's only one true one.
Now, this is going to freak a lot of people out. But I, if it freaks you out, that's good. It's going to shake you up. But Waco proves that greater love hath no man than he give his life for his brothers and sisters and obey his heavenly Father's will. And that's what David Koresh did. So greater love hath no man than he give his life for his brother. And that's what he did to show us what it really means to live for God. To live for God is to die for God if he asks you to. And there's not very many people that will do that. They'll have some excuse why they can't do it. And when I saw this happen on TV, knowing what I had declared to David Koresh, it freaked me out to the point where I had, I wept and wept and wept because I knew it was going to happen to all those men and women and children. I knew what, the, what God had said. I'm going to slaughter old and young, men, women, maids, and children, and kindle a fire in the midst and devour his whole complex. That was freaky when I saw it actually happening. And it was freaky when I saw the army there, the most ruthless army in the world, it says. And that's what it was. It was a ruthless band of men that came in to slaughter and to pillage and to kill. And that's what they did. I'm not condoning what they did. I'm not condoning what David Koresh did. I'm just telling you the facts, what the prophecy says and how it was fulfilled to the T. I knew the Delta Force was there before it was even public. Because it says, the strangers, the terrible of the nations. Who else could that be? But then when I saw a captain on YouTube of the Delta Force say that they were there. And that they were told, they were ordered to take Koresh down. That means to kill him. And to destroy everything that's there. And that's what they did. So what I take from this is that these people were living for God and God asked them to die for him and they were willing to do that. That's pretty serious. I'll tell you who else feels that way. And you're probably not going to like what I say, but I need to shake your head up so that you understand God looks on the heart, not on what you're teaching and what you're doing. Because everybody wants to say, well, they're a sinner. This guy's a sinner. But they don't look on the heart of that person. They don't know what they were raised up in, what kind of a situation they were raised up in. And I'm going to describe to you a situation that you might think... You know, they deserve to die. What about the Muslims that were raised ever since they were little children to hate Christians and to hate Christ? What about them? And that, you know, that they need to become um, terrorists and bombers, you know, blow themselves up and be martyrs. Well, they're willing to die for God. That's what they believe their God's asking them to do. Well, this is what these people believe their God was asking them to do. And were they bothering anybody? 
No, the government came after them because they were bothering the government. They thought that they were, you know, converting guns and, uh, you know, molesting children. But when you get right down to the brass tacks of it all, even the sheriff, Harwell, you know, said that they have a right to marry 14-year-olds if they have the consent of the mother and father and the child. Now, we as Branch Davidians did not believe in polygamy, okay? That was David Koresh's perverted teaching. Why? Because he thought that he was going to sire all 24 elders to judge the world. Well, are these children that he sired, are they judging the world? Well, indirectly they are because everyone looks at those innocent children and says, why did the children have to die? Why did the government have to gas those children and kill them? So, you see, in a sense, David Koresh was right when he was wrong. Why? Because God wanted him to be right when he was wrong. I used to be against all this. You can ask some of the survivors how I ranted and raved against it, but not anymore because the Holy Spirit touched my heart with what these people did, and I hope it touches yours, finally. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what Christ said when he was being beaten and crucified, rejected, and abused. Forgive them for they know not what they do. And I forgive you all for you know not what you do. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wells of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore having your loins girded about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And that's going to wrap it up this week for Dead America Podcast. I sure hope you enjoyed this week's episode. If you did, please share, like, and subscribe to the podcast. And join us next week. You never know what you're going to find out or hear right here on Dead America Podcast. 
I'm Ed Waters, the host, and I want to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to Dead America Podcast. Enjoy your week.